All right, now let's do a reading. So, I've shuffled the hell out of my cards. I think what I want to do is... I want to do a question for my unconscious mind about how can I start learning from Enneagram to think of myself as, uh, like, how can I develop as an Enneagram one? How can I use that understanding of myself to develop? Okay, we're going to do a simple reading since I already talked for an hour on the last episode. I'm going to do a, I'm just going to do a really broad, let's do, I want to do like three or four cards. I'm thinking um, a card about body type, about my body because the Enneagram one is a body type. A card about anger, a card about resentment, and a card about growth. Okay, so body, anger, resentment, growth. Body, anger, resentment, growth. Okay, this will be interesting. It's always fun to make up totally random spreads and then force meaning out of the cards. So the body type is the Eight of Pentacles. Anger is the Upside Down Seven of Cups. Resentment is the Upside Down Three of Hearts. I'm sorry, of Swords. It just has a big heart on it. And Growth is the Judgment card. Cool. So, Body, Resentment. No, Body, Anger, Resentment, Growth. So the Body card, the reason I did Body is because Enneagram 1 is a Body type and I do have these sort of really strong physical gut things going on where I, I sort of have a sense of stuff really quickly before I even realize it. But I tend to um, take it out of my body and into my head really quickly. Um, and then I often will think of... I won't think of my body as being smart at all. I think of my body as being just affected by, like, my food I ate or whatever. I never really think about it as being affected by the situation. <laughs> I really suppress it. And I suppress self-preservation. And, and I, um, I don't know if about, enough about Enneagram to think if those are related. But I think of self-preservation as being sort of a body issue. And I suppress all of that. As an extroverted intuitive, it's all just kind of, like, in my introverted sensing tertiary. So... The Eight of Pentacles is a card I've had in a couple of readings. I've looked at it in the context of display, displaying these this hard work that the guy's sitting on a bench, carving away at a pentacle or chipping away at it. He's a craftsman. He's got his tunic on. He's really focused and building this beautiful stuff and hanging it up and displaying it. He's definitely working with his body. He's got a village in the background. There's a little bit of a river there. Um empty sky so when I see this I think of the work like hard work and um, I think of how um, one of the thoughts that came to me as I've been studying Enneagram 1 is that I need 
to respect my body as I'm working. And, and when I think of actually, I'm condemning myself right there. Like I'm thinking that I'm not, I don't respect my body enough. What I need to think of instead is to sort of partner with my body and not think of it as an antagonist or as me of the antagonist of my body and be more like, how can we work together, my mind and body? How can I integrate my body into my work and be thinking more along the lines of like, that it's not like a, a zero-sum game between my mind and my body, because I often think it is. Um, and instead be like, no, no, it's a net win-win. Like, I can be good for my body and good for my mind at the same time. I, and uh, if my work, which is mostly at a computer screen, if I can sort of follow the promptings of my body for what I need and when I need to work and when I need to rest, I think I might actually accomplish more of what matters for me. Um, and if I just really think about taking care of my physical working needs, um, that's what this card makes me think of. And that would be helpful for development, I think, as a Enneagram One, to make sure I'm, uh, <clears throat> you know, I'm, I'm noticing the guy's posture. And I'm thinking of posture when I see this card, that he's He's got a tool, like he has a brick underneath the pentacle, so he's got it angled up in a certain kind of way. He's got his legs in a certain posture on the bench. There's this kind of like workshop that he's set up to do this exactly right. And it just makes me think of how like, I always wanna go work in different cafes to get my work done. I'm always sort of chasing a intuitive wave to get work done. And I think I just need to accept that that's true about me, that like I kind of have to follow a little bit of um, the advice of my body about like when I need to take a walk, when I need to walk around, and when and then also I need to find ways of sitting down and doing the work. It's a challenging balance, but um, if I can really learn to communicate with my body, I think we might be able to get on a team together. <clears throat> okay, so anger, the upside down, seven of cups. So I'm thinking of the Seven of Cups as being, you know, all these different possible choices. There's a woman, there's a home, a castle, there's a pile of jewels, there's a wreath of maybe wisdom, there's a dragon, there's a snake, there's some sort of, sort of like a Christ under a shroud. And I'm thinking of, you know, this dream of all of these possibilities and the indecision and the inability to choose, inability to choose. And upside down, I'm thinking of it being... Um, sort of exacerbated right now. I'm thinking if I, you know, that I, it's upsetting to me as an extra intuitive that I don't get to choose. I don't get to try everything. I don't get to do everything. But the truth is like that. And, and I do feel, think I feel angry at that. Like, so this is making me think of limits, the limits of reality. Like only in my cloud dream is there all the possibility? In reality, I have to make choices, and that's ang that's angering to me. I, I want to try everything to find the best thing. And uh, I have a sort of a perfection quest that involves, like, everything. You know, it's funny, this Enneagram One stuff. Like, as, like, a four-year-old kid, I used to feel, like, I was so little, like, so young I can hardly remember it, but I used to get sick and nauseous thinking about how I needed to read every book 
I was an early reader and I would wake up like I have to get I have to read all the books I have to I have to do it all and that's sort of like what this card's making me think of is like not doing it all picking a lane and just doing 60% of my of my best like really not doing my best in anything and just letting the cloud drop letting the dream and and focusing more on the present and it, that will probably be a good way for me to stop feeling so angry all the time. <laughs> okay, resentment. So the upside down three of swords. So the three of swords is like a stormy rain cloud over a, a heart stabbed three times through. So I'm thinking of this as like the heartbreak. It's interesting because a heart, I think of swords as the mind, heart as the, you know, the heart, the emotions. What's missing here is the body when I think of the triad, but it is a three, um, and it's upside down, so I'm thinking of resentment being, uh, I'm just gonna take the, the, a very Enneagram-focused meaning here and think, <laughs> this is the absence of integration with my heart and my mind and my, that is, that leads to resentment, like, I'm not being realistic about the real world, I'm not thinking clearly, and I'm not being empathetic about the real like what other people really have going on in their life so i get resentful that they're not like following my plan toward perfection when in reality i don't know anything about that i need to kind of like i need to be more empathetic and i need to be more thoughtful so i know that's not the meaning of the three of swords but i'm looking at it in terms of just those symbols and thinking you know the upside down reversed card and it's making me think of the absence of swords and hearts, the absence of feeling and thinking, and being that resentment is in my body, and that if I integrate thinking and feeling a little bit better, it will help reduce the resentment. And then finally, the fourth is, um, I think it was growth in general. So the 20, the card, the 20 card, uh, judgment is an interesting one. Um, so, one thing that's interesting about this card is that there's like a, it's a scene of, of celebration. There's people like kind of raising out of boxes on a water. It's almost like they're rising out of the dead. They're all naked. It was a really interesting card. I've never read it before. There's an angel trumpeting. And people are basically celebrating and worshiping. They have their arms up. And people don't look afraid. And so it's actually kind of a paradoxical card because it makes me think that I think of judgment as harsh. But this is trumpeting judgment as um, more of a celebration. And that makes me think of about growing in terms of like noticing what's good, noticing beauty, and judging, you know, when I'm giving people feedback, noticing the good. Or when I'm judging myself and others, noticing what's beautiful and uh, <clears throat> being more celebratory as judgment um, and less critical. <sighs> okay. I know that this stuff's very tiring and so I think it's probably valuable for me to do. Right now I burned through this really quick because I'm so tired. But hopefully someone found that entertaining. And hopefully it'll pay dividends for me. One of the things I feel like I'm doing is I'm telling my unconscious mind that 
I'm telling it that I want more by doing these readings and stuff. I'm like inviting it to get in contact with me more. And I think it's working. I've been having better dreams. I, I had a dream about this, um, this woman who was, uh, acting crazy. Uh, and I mean, I mean this, like she was like a, she broke up with my roommate and then she broke back into our apartment and was stealing things that were his. And she was acting to me like when I came home and caught her, she's like, Oh shoot, you caught me, you know? And, uh, she was acting kind of like, it's not a big deal. This is just a dispute between me and him. And I was like, get the fuck out of this place right now. I had this really, really strong reaction to her invasion of our privacy, of my roommate's privacy and of my home. And usually in my dreams, I'm always apologizing for people and making room for their craziness. But in this is one of the first times that like my dream self took an immediate strong stance that was protective of my space and of my friend's space. And it wasn't like, I wasn't looking at like, what's fair, maybe my friend was a bad boyfriend. I wasn't looking at any of that. I was just looking at this is wrong, what's going on right now. So it was like this gut reaction of, I know this is wrong, get the fuck out. And I was screaming at her. But at the doorway, I was she was blocking the door first. So I was like, oh, it's fine, let me in. But in my mind, I like I was like, oh, hey, oh yeah. Like I kind of laughed it off. I'm like, oh, no worries, let me get in. And I, I gotta get in and get some stuff. And I walked past her and as soon as I was on the inside, I turned around and I started screaming, get the fuck out of here. So I like actually like manipulated her to get into the house. And then, but I knew all along, I was like, I am going to kill this lady if she doesn't get out of this house. And it, I woke up feeling so good because it was like I was learning to protect what matters to me and to take a sort of like, like a protective stance about this stuff instead of being like, um, making accommodations for people acting crazy or doing things that are wrong. And I've, I've always kind of noticed that my dream self is very, very like, he's very slow. He's, he's way behind me. My dream self is like very, very worried about rules, very worried about appearing a certain way. And to see my dream self starting to make strong, immediate decisions and not to second guess them, making me feel like my unconscious mind is starting to make strong decisions and not send me doubt and not not be as hung up it's like an energy flowing through me so i'm hoping to do more of this like in getting myself in tune with the fact that like i know what side i'm on i'm on my side i'm on my family's side my kids side my friends side when people do crazy things i'm going to call them out when people cut in line in front of me i'm going to call them out like I'm not going to be afraid of that kind of stuff, you know? Anyway. Good morning. I feel very tired, but very contemplative today. Maybe the word's contemplative. I don't know what contemplative means. Okay. I've been thinking about the card for judgment, card 20 from the Major Arcana uh, from yesterday. So in the reading, this was the one that stuck out to me as the most useful. And as usual, I 
only really hold on to what I find useful in tarot. Um, and I had a big realization this morning when I was meditating. I always wanted to call meditating meritating because that's what my cute little four-year-old called it once. And he said, that's not meritating. So I had this realization that I'm always, I'm on the look, I'm on the lookout for ways that I'm projecting. I'm on the lookout for ways that my anger toward my ex and my resentment toward her is projection of stuff that I can I can recognize as actually my own to work on and what I'm there's sort of a mystery about that I, I don't know if I'll be able to ever really solve the mystery of who caused that family dynamic to be so messed up I know when I say that that um I can hear the voice of like my girlfriend and my people who love me very much being like, uh, you didn't cause it, it was her. Well, that's certainly true. It's certainly true in a lot of senses, certainly. But there's like also the, the just the reality that like at a subconscious level I chose her, I chose this woman, and I think there are reasons for that we do those things. Not always good ones, but sort of like deep psychological um, reasons that we sort of we do that stuff. So I also think that there are intergenerational echoes of things that play out. Um, I believe that children are impacted by the, sh- like the unconscious shadow of their parents, for example. <clears throat> things like that. I believe that we're all highly attuned to those things. And I understand this stuff sort of in a in a really light, intuitive way, and I don't understand it in a deep way or a mechanistic way yet. I do think that people have laid it out really clearly, um, like especially young analysts and young researchers have laid out more clearly than I can understand right now how that works, like this intergenerational trauma. So that's what I've been thinking about is how I, um, and without, I, so I want to talk about this without putting any judgment anywhere for the day, okay? <coughs> Looking at the judgment card and trying not to judge. Um, <coughs> excuse me, I'm just getting over the last of this cold. So, um, yes, that's the key. If I can talk about this without judgment, then it will make the most sense. So here's just some, a set of facts is that, um, I, uh, did find my children difficult when I was with my spouse, my ex. And I found parenting difficult. Um, I have found parenting much easier since I've been a single parent. 
I have come to believe that a lot of what was difficult about parenting had to do with co co-parenting with her together. We we it was a more challenging parenting together than it is apart. I get a lot of information uh, shared to me, whether I ask for it or not, <laughs> from my kids to suggest that things are still very difficult <laughs> over on mom's in mom's world with parenting and things are not difficult over here so that all of that tells me that you know like we both struggled to parent when we were together and apart only she struggles to parent so that means that in some ways um I had a dynamic with her that made me a weaker parent she had a dynamic with me that made her a weaker parent I think she's not as bad now so I do think that that she's a little better, but she still struggles. Um, and then, one of the, excuse me, one of the things that I really was was highly bothered by in my ex's parenting was um, that she uh, tended to only notice the negative in my son, particularly. We only raised the twins together. We separated when my youngest, who's now four, uh, when he was uh, uh, five months old, we separated. So we didn't, and and I we so he and he was such an awesome baby, um, so much fun and so sweet and not very challenging compared to the twins. Um, that she and I didn't really have a parenting situation with him very much um to like that I recall um except for that I took care of him every night and did the rocking him to bed and when he had jaundice I did the light the lamp light stuff and I did all all the feeding and so I feel really I've always felt really bonded to him because I've been the main caretaker of his from the time he was born to five months um well so but with my older kids, she just, she, she saw in my autistic son, she was so hard on him. Uh, gosh, that's not right. The, the truth is, so again, without judgment, I'm just, I'm just telling what's true. She seemed to hate him, and I could never get her to see any of the good things in him. And I saw a lot of good things in him. And she only seemed to see the negative things in him. She didn't seem to see anything interesting in the way that his mind was working. She didn't seem to see anything uh, to appreciate in him. She, she didn't seem to see how he had a sort of spiky personality where there were like certain elements of him that were very like high on a chart and others were very low on a chart. It's sort of a spikes of intelligence. And so he might have significant underperformance in some ways and significant overperformance in others. And, and she only noticed the underperformance. And I found it so upsetting because I could see that he knew. I could see that he he was highly attuned to the fact that his mother didn't appreciate any of the good things about him. And she didn't even see him. It was like they were invisible to her. She was only hard on him. And only, well, not to, 
mean, she was mean to him, but she mostly ignored him and uh, told me, you know, he'd, after he'd go to bed and we'd go to bed, she'd be tell me just how much she hated him and just always acting like he was ruining our life and ruining our family. So I couple things. I know she believed that to be true. (laughs) Like, she really did, like, um, see him as a prop. (coughs) And, um, she really only saw that stuff. Only saw the negative. And I, it made me so upset. I hated that. And, um, and now I see that happening with my now four-year-old. He'll describe to me in four-year-old language that he got in trouble at mom's house and that he has a really hard time not doing bad things and stuff. And I can, and that he, his mom, all she ever does is call her friends on the phone and talk about all the bad stuff he did. And I'm like, wow, that's a really articulate way of explaining exactly what she used to do as well. I'd hear her on the phone telling people how bad our kid was and 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 I'd also hear her say things that weren't true, like she would exaggerate how bad he was, and it upset me. I was like, "Hold on a second, like you need to tell people how good he is too." But I didn't stick up for him at the time. I just was like, I just was like, just starting to figure out like something wrong there, and I would just spend time with him and try to make sure that he knew about his good things. Well, the realization I had this morning is that. Probably one of the reasons why I, I, it's, so it's true that she was like that, but I think it's also true that I projected onto her my own tendency to do that to myself. So I do that to me. I treat me as this bad kid who's difficult and bad and everything I do is bad. And I... And I never judge the good, I only judge the bad. I only see the, the bad. And um, somehow it's like I created her. It's like I created this external version of that inner critic to, and saw, and then it, you know, criticized, criticized the external version of my inner child, which is my son's. And now I'm, I'm just seeing how, how, um, well, so it's something of a blessing right now to see that and realize it's not right to be that way toward myself. It's not, I, it's against my own values to treat myself like that. And it's inaccurate. Uh... And that is the part that's the most surprising about this insight is I realized, wait, my inner critic is inaccurate because I have a tendency to think that it's highly accurate. (laughs) But I realized that it's just not. It's not. So I find a certain comfort or uh, safety or purpose in the idea of this inner critic that is always only seeing the negative 
only seeing what I've missed, you know, only seeing where I've fallen short, right? Because it's almost kind of like I feel like that's necessary to keep me in line. But when I think about it with my boys, I know that's not true. That's not going to keep them in line. I could see how she was actually causing bad behavior by judging such bad behavior. And they needed to be given credit for the things they were doing good and being taught that that's who they are, that they are, you know, or being having it noticed that good things and bad things were happening so they didn't associate so much with the bad things. So realizing it's not accurate for me because I, I mean, like, I'll feel like, you know, I rested all day yesterday which is like a non-judgmental way for me to say I wasted the day, which is normally what I would say. And, and, then, and that's what I believe, is that I wasted the day. That's the way my mind feels it. But like, I have to start realizing that's untrue. I rested the day. It's not accurate to say I wasted it. And there's no... It's. N- I almost can't say this stuff. I almost feel like Jim Carrey on Liar Liar. <laughs> like, like when he's trying to say the pen is red, because <laughs> I feel like I'm lying when I. I feel like this is false, but it's like when I look at it through the lens of the projection of my critic onto my ex and watching her criticize my sons. I realize that there is no right way to be. There's no way that a child is supposed to be. There's no way that a son is supposed to be. It's not the child's job to be a certain way for the parent. It's not a child's role to fit the expectations of a parent. And it's not a child's failing when they don't fit those expectations. And if I were to extrapolate that, then I would have to admit that it makes a lot of sort of uh, intuitive sense to accept those claims as true for for myself that it's not my role to judge myself it's not my role to have expectations like that for myself and it's not my role to meet harsh expectations that it's not those are not what would that my performance is not actually what defines me but um for some reason i have such a hard time understanding that because it's like well then what does i guess the thing that's underneath is um just existence being valuable in itself um is that really true Well, I find it true for my children because I do think that they are just wonderful in their imperfection. And I don't care what they succeed or fail at. I don't care. You know, it's been a real blessing to have children who are so different. The twins has taught me not to judge because they, they operate so differently and it's beautiful. 
and their creativity of my autistic son is just I mean it's just invigorating and thrilling to see and the uh, the more traditional approach of my daughter is just really incredible to watch I mean she's really highly competent little girl <laughs> there's something about having children that is so normal like this is just the simplest thing two completely flawed fucked up parents can make these kids that seem like such meaningful contributions to the world when they're your children they bring a lot of joy to a lot of people my kids do There's a certain, like, meaning in their existence alone that I don't tend to want to grant to myself or other adults necessarily. But a lot of that comes back to this idea that, like, we have to have, uh, we have to be working hard to be purposeful, that people deserve... to be considered meaningful if they are struggling and working hard and and that um yeah I think there is a little bit of like my values set there but I'm wondering like well how do I um what else do I lean into because you know I don't I don't believe in God But when I say that, I think like, well, maybe I, maybe I do. Maybe I'm starting to believe in God. Uh, maybe it's sort of like I'm starting to create a belief in God through the systemic, like, understanding of experience. Uh, hmm, I don't know if that makes sense. Like, it makes sense to me though. It's like maybe I'm starting to create faith, not out of desperate necessity, but out of um, surprise, like a sort of surprise, the surprise of meaning, and the surprise of the, the beauty of humility, and I think maybe I can find in humility, maybe not can find, but will find, maybe I will find in humility and again, not through effort toward belief in God, but or faith, but just through sort of resting, to sort of rest into a humble faith in God that doesn't have any clarity about the nature of God and has more like just a pure faith with no knowledge at all and very little belief at all but pure faith okay so what would faith be it would it would mean starting to just choose start it would mean starting to humbly anticipate um, that meaning will always be found and that I'm okay 
that I am not the judge. That's what this judgment card is for me, is a reminder that I am not the judge. God is the judge. So what do I believe about God? Well, I don't understand anything about God, his or her or its existence, its relationship to humanity. But I understand it as greater than me and with responsibility that I don't have, meaning I can release those responsibilities like the responsibility to judge. This is not my place to judge. It's God's. I don't judge. You know, would be... Yeah, I mean, when I say that, I feel in my gut a warm, kind of fearful energy that strikes me as the right direction. Because if I stopped judging, um, I think I would be more in action. I think I would be more in, uh, I think I would do more do more a lot less with a lot less stress and worry I'd be more flow I think I would be more in a flow of doing of experiencing it's pretty interesting Do I balance the necessity of like debauchery (laughs) or thinking in terms of the Enneagram one growth? I need to chill out, do a little more bad stuff so I have less 100% bad stuff going on. Moderation, you know, imperfection. How do I balance this quest for imperfection so that I keep moving forward at an acceptable rate. I get the fundamentals handled. And I also am not setting myself up for like perfectionist that crashes into the abyss or dangerous release where I really lose character. Okay, so. I'm gonna do a Celtic cross. The card one is a page of swords, crossed by the knight of swords. What crowns me is the nine of cups. Below me is the seven of wands. Behind me, the hermit, 
in front of me. Ten of Cups. The Quarant is the Eight of Cups. Eight, nine, and ten of Cups. The environment is the three of wands. <laughs> Hopes and fears. This is the knight of wands. And likely outcomes. The eleven card, justice. <laughs> okay. <coughs> All right, let's do the hard work. I never want to do it because it's always so hard. Okay. Central issue. Page of Swords. I've never read the card before. The Page of Swords is an energetic little sword card on a little hill of grass, clouds in the background, birds overhead. Some trees in the distance, some mountains in the distance. So I see everything except water here. There's air, land, there's forests and mountains and deserts. There's much to be explored. It's windy, hair's blowing. The trees are also apparently tilting. So there's a, there's a, the, the birds are at an angle to suggest that they are also blowing in the wind. So there's like a strong current in this card. Even the knight, or the page himself, is tilted as if he's being, like, he's about to swing a bat, like his sword. He's, like, um, looking toward where the wind's coming from, too. So, very, uh, there's lots of, um, environmental, like, pressure here. And, the, and he's going to cut straight through it. Okay, so that's the central issue. Um, is the Page of Swords. But it's crossed by the Knight of Swords. Okay. The Knight of Swords is a similarly intense looking movement based windy. You know, the clouds themselves have turned into like almost like lightning strikes. The, the, the horse is mid lunge. The guy's charging forward. It's very aggressive, like the whole scenery is bent backwards because how fast he's moving. Almost like warp speed. Okay, so I'm thinking here that there is much to do, that I'm capable of doing it is the central issue here. Um, but I'm perhaps crossed by this desire to move at hyper pace. This almost cartoonish activity rate that I want. Instead of recognizing the reality of how things need to kind of flow slowly or whatever, or at least I just don't have a good barometer for that. I don't have a good sense of what pace I should be moving at. <clears throat> I'm crossed by this complexity that I have with, with growth, uh, this intensity that I seek and prefer. Um, <clears throat> behind me I have the Hermit. Okay, so recent past of Hermit. I'm going to take that to mean just the last 10, 20 days where I've really been doing some introspection and thinking about how to develop myself as an Enneagram 1 and an ENTP and thinking about how to 
like this week I've been trying not to have negative thoughts about myself, not to be self-critical, and just to sort of think positively, just doing that for a week, just, just without justification, I don't have to have a reason to be positive, I'm just, if I have a negative thought, I just reverse it, (laughs) so I've been doing this kind of uh, internal work to try to become a little less perfectionistic and a little less hard on myself. Um, and I'm looking at the near future and there's the 10 of cups with, you know, uh, like a joyous rainbow of cups and a family celebrating and dancing. I mean, this is really, that's a really exciting card. I'm not sure what that could pretend for the near future for me. Like, you know, maybe that's suggesting that my perspective on near future is it's kind of like um that I'm headed toward everything I want or whatever um yeah that's kind of a risky proposition uh I'm looking at that in terms of the uh likely outcome card and the crowning card and I'm thinking okay so if I'm crowned by the genie who's like offering me everything I want this perspective that I'm I'm accumulating a pers- I'm 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 sort of like um cultivating an idea in myself right now that I can do whatever I want that I can accomplish what I need which is like the 9 of cups crowning me um versus subconscious the 7 of wands is much more like that I have to fight for my territory I'm taking a a much more optimistic approach through the current approach of like which is the Eight of Cups, the uh, the Hermit, you know, taking care to do his own work, to head off on his own, and um, I'm thinking, it's like I'm headed toward everything I want, but then I'm thinking of this Justice card, and when I look at the Justice card, beautiful card, I think of the scales and of the reality of balance, that There is no such thing as getting everything you want. Like, there is no rainbow happy ending. There's always a balance of everything. And so, um, thinking of that in terms of the uh, crossing the Knight of Swords, this idea that you could move at the pace of the Knight of Swords in perpetuity, you just can't. You can't move at that pace. That's impossible. The horse is going to die. He's strained. That's an intense card. You know, or that you could have the rainbow thing forever. You can't. Or that you could be in any of these poses forever. You simply can't. Uh, Everything has to be balanced. So, my expectations need to be balanced. You know, it's really an ego thing to just, like, accept that I'm just an average person. I'm going to have an average life. I'm literally just going to be somewhere on the bell curve with all my experiences that's the likely outcome is just a balanced life you know that's that's what everyone's likely outcome is at any given moment is a balanced life given their circumstances a balance of good of pain and pleasure and then like it's just a a balance that's literally what our species like our, our brains are highly evolved to make sure that we experience life as a balance Uh, that keeps us kind of working towards survival, afraid of dying, but getting enough enjoyment not to kill ourselves, you know? And it's just this, it's an evolved sense of balance. So, um, 
But yeah, my craving for this two of the second card, Knight of Swords, leaning forward. My craving for that perfect state of, you know, perfect speed, like the speed of light, where the light behind him is bending, the, the, the scenery is literally bending, is um, an ego thing. I have to just realize it's all ego. And I don't know how much of it's fear. Like I'm afraid I need to outrun my own weaknesses. Or how much of it's um, arrogance and pride. I want to be seen doing great things or something. I'm not sure. I'm not exactly sure what a, it's kind of like it is somewhere in between those two things, though. Like right now, like I want to go to the bar tonight because I enjoy going to the same bar and having people see me and getting to know them and having the bartenders know me and, you know, having pretty girls say hi to me and like getting to know my name. Like I enjoy that, like being part of the community. But I have this ego trip where I'm like, oh, I love when someone walks into this bar and they know me because then the other people that see me know, oh, he's a known guy. It's really, really interesting, low level, like, um, validation-seeking thing. So interesting. Thinking about the subtypes of Enneagram, so like the sexual subtype is the type that I am. The desire to connect kind of one-to-one -one with people and to attract people and to display and attract people is definitely like a big part of that and um and then the sexual one wants to perfect others or improve others and it's actually less less self-critical than other ones which makes sense i think i'm <coughs> pretty self-critical but not as much as other people are i'm more other critical which is true one of the reasons i'm trying to be less self-critical is so i can be less other critical so i don't know let me look at this environment card the three of wands i don't know what this is but it looks to me like Like, one of the characters is standing here between three wands, looking out over the water. There's boats on the water. <clears throat> he seems to be, like, I don't know, watching for someone or waiting? Not sure what he's waiting for. I'm going to look at the book on this guy, the environment card. Where's the book? Come on, book, where are you? The Three of Wands. <sighs> three of Wands. Plans and actions. Daring greatly. Creativity and collaboration with others. Business partnerships. The figure stands with three wands as he looks out to the ships he has sent forth. Okay. The plans are hatched and a good effort is made. Creativity and evolution unfolds and marvelous consequences lay ahead. It is still time to plan for future adjustments, but feel pleased with personal progress and innate ability to work well with others. Oh, that's a nice card. Reading that is a perfect card for me for this week because I'm being optimistic and at work, like, I'm just going to be assuming the best. Like, good things are going to happen. We're going to succeed and we're going to have this cresting wave of success with our software and usage is gonna increase, and I'm gonna be credited with enough of that to keep my job, 
but it's really that we have a high caliber team that's come together and then we will over the next year grow and grow and grow get the funding we need to keep going and so I'll be very secure and can get a raise even next year and things like that so I have um I have put a lot of work in so far I'm gonna put more work in today and uh and tomorrow and Friday and we're gonna have a really good October coming up on October here so um and I have a lot of projects coming in October for work and they are going to set sail so that's the environment that I'm in here okay then the knight of wands is my hopes or fears so with the knight of wands no, I'm going to read the book on this. I'm looking at the Knight of Wands in contrast to the Knight of Swords, and I see one thing about the Knight of Wands is that he's sort of displaying. The horse is, is jumping up, not forward. The horse is sort of like doing something kind of like, look at me, you know. And the guy has a big uh, like feather on his head and back that kind of blowing in the wind he looks a lot more um creatively attractive or uh you know display based um phone call interrupted me so talking about the knight of wands and how he's i don't know sort of display based maybe that's one of my fears is that it's all all for show i'm not sure that guy could fight with that stick (laughs) Compared to the Knight of Swords right now, he's looking a little weak. And a little bit, uh, like, peacocking. Let me see. I'm going to look up the Knight of Wands and see what this says about him. Explosive and unbridled energy. Courage, daring greatly, speedy results, action and idealism. If the Knight of Cups was the poetic romantic suitor, the Knight of Wands is the sexy love him and leave him type guy. He moves in fast with the essence of fire. No one sees him coming and they don't know what hit them. He's the energy of fire, speed, and seduction. He's gone seduction, right. He's gone before you wake up. He's also the energy you need to complete tasks and get things done at the last minute or when push comes to shove. Okay, so it's like an intuitive fire energy, kind of like Sagittarian. Um, whereas the Knight of Swords is more of a cutting, attacking. Let's look up the Knight of Swords for fun. The Knight of Swords contains the explosive energy of a viral young man set off in the world to plot his own course. Decisive action, speaking and doing before thinking it over. Bravery and skill, mental prowess and extreme behavior. Destroy preconceived notions and rapid movement forward. Speed and prowess. Action and swiftness toward the resolution of the situation. Quest undertaken for the greatest prize. Okay. Um, so the Knight of Wands is like, yeah, sexier. He's more relational-based. The Knight of Swords is all quest-based. Okay, so my fear, I guess. Maybe my fear and being crossed by the Knight of Swords with a fear of the Knight of Wands is like this fear that I have as, as I'm contemplating and as the central issue is about the Page of Swords and the need to, like, take action and the need to be, you know but be balancing the realities of what I want with what is the justice card likely balance of, you know, outcomes. And, well, balancing my perfectionism, balancing my, you know, who I am, 
my fear is that I become more about display and less about action or results, you know. But maybe I need to learn that display matters a lot, like a whole lot. If I think of it in terms of design or the front end or like, you know, people do judge things by how they look, stuff like that, as opposed to their results. Um, That it's just two different ways of evaluating kind of arbitrarily. And I'm afraid of being evaluated for surface level stuff. I want to be evaluated and, and I'm afraid of only succeeding at surface level stuff, so. The outcome card, the justice card, you know, very uh, clear to me that I can see this saying, look, we're, we're aiming toward balance anyway. That, that's the best possible outcome. That's the only possible outcome is that you end up on the bell curve somewhere. So for me, the takeaways here are that I'm going to continue. I'm still in this mode, like the Eight of Cups, this mode of the hermit heading toward the mountains. I'm, but, and, but I'm in an environment here where I've set my ships a, a, a sail and doing my best not to be just display-based, but afraid I, you know, afraid of that kind of stuff. But I probably shouldn't be afraid of that kind of stuff because it's important. It's important to have surface-level competency. And then likely outcome well in the near future you know there's these opportunities that I'm pursuing that I feel like I can get whatever I want you know I'm crowned by the nine of cups I have the near future of ten of cups subconscious is still fighting for territory seven of of wands you know and in the recent past I've been doing this introspective hermit work um and then uh but that likely outcome is uh is, is of course always a balance, the justice of uh, the justice of time, the justice of the inevitability of average reversion to the mean, and versus you know, and so ultimately that's my that's the necessity for these this off balance page of swords who's about to take a swing with his sword. Um, crossed by the desire to be the fast-moving knight of swords. Well, there's a balance between action and rest and action and introspection, success and failure. I just need to align myself with the, the wave of talented people that I know and hope for the best and just keep expecting good things, I think.